0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome in. We got your midweek OBR Film Breakdown podcast. We're going to be shifting the theme by which we do it. I'll explain so in just a minute. It's a good podcast, a lot of stuff covered here as we transition from the week that was to the week that will be coming through the weekend, and I think it's going to be a fun idea for you, so stick around, check out the latest OBR Film Breakdown.
2: Watson on first down,
0: throwing towards the end zone, wide open, Ford for the touchdown, Third and 10 Gary burying
2: Tannehill.
0: Play action for Watson's gonna take a
2: shot. Cooper, wide open, touchdown. Watson to Cooper
1: for the knockout strike. What's up, everybody? Welcome into today's show. It is going to be sort of a new show, the angle that we're taking on our Wednesday podcast. I'm excited about it. I have Andrew Spade with me here. We're going to talk about some additions and subtractions the Browns made from the practice squad, and then get to that new focus of the show. Andrew, first of all, though, what's up, brother?
2: Uh, not much, Jake. Good to be with you. Uh, you know, looking forward to another AFC North week. It's really kind of taxing to have all three divisional games through the first four weeks of the season. It's just so much pressure on these weeks, and I think I'm I'm kind of starting to feel it again already for Sunday. The two and one.
1: Um, nature of all this right you you feel okay you really want to be two and one in the division like yes that would that would make you feel so good going into the bye week and especially with the challenge that is lingering on the other side of the bye week which we'll spend some time later this week looking ahead at the ravens we'll give them the proper amount of due respect and time focus and how they beat them and all of that fun stuff you usually look forward to but today we are going to do what's called a midweek mailbag we're going to start doing this uh, pretty much every Wednesday. It's kind of like Wednesday is when, you know, you have the desire to still maybe revel in a Browns win or kind of figure out what happened in a Browns loss. But you're also kind of by the end of Wednesday, shifting your focus on to what's up this weekend, your fantasy team's turnover, right? You start, you know, all of the apps reset for the next week. It's just kind of what the the football world does, right? So, you know, the OBR, we put out our college football review on on the tuesdays right so we're we're really in the process of shifting ahead and we want to get you guys in that uh, sort of frame of mind too and that's why we had this idea for midweek mailbag now part of the problem with coming up for the idea of what the show is going to be in perpetuity on wednesdays like 10 minutes before we start it is that we don't have any questions ready offhand so we found questions either you guys have dm'd me questions which i'm sorry if i don't get to them there are there are a lot and I have two kids and a wife and I'm trying I'm trying my best I get I do answer a lot of them that come across the uh, you know through Twitter and stuff uh, and I try to get into the Ask the insider section at the OBR but I don't always have time to get in there considering all the other responsibilities I know Andrew does a great job of getting in there and answering them and if you tag us on something on Twitter we try to find time to do it. Uh, Going forward, I will shoot out an alert on Tuesdays to submit those over and we will answer your question. Right. And as we get into some exciting stuff down the line, there's going to be some more priority based stuff there that we will try to do for those of you who care enough. Right. We'll get to that. But before we do, we want to update you on the one piece of information we learned about Cleveland Browns today, which is that they made some moves to the practice squad. I think I think welcome moves, Andrew, is how I would say it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I will say uh, certainly. The interesting thing to me is, uh, you know, you get these early in the week moves, you you kind of hear from Kevin on Monday, you hear some things on Tuesday moves, but the the team doesn't really themselves start shifting focus to Wednesday because they get together, the practice reports come out, you get to talk to some players, you get to talk to... Um, you know, the head coach again, you get to get the injury report. So as you're listening to this on Wednesday, the shift obviously is the Browns get together and they open up practice all the same. But you do get some nuggets of roster moves, tryouts, things of that nature. And we got some stuff today. So if you have not seen, we wrote this up at the OBR and I tried to attach some analysis to this because every place writes up the very general basics. I wanted to give you some insight into why the Browns made the move that they did. So they went out and signed two players today. Devin Asiasi, a former third-round pick out of UCLA. He actually started his career. He's a De La Salle kid, Andrew. If you know anything about high school ball in California, that is the preeminent high school football program out in California. Uh, Came to Michigan, ironically enough, traveled, then went back to UCLA with the blessing publicly of Jim Harbaugh. Well, I guess Jim Harbaugh has to do that sort of thing. Sounds very Jim Harbaugh-like. He goes back to UCLA, has a pretty nice career after sitting out a year transferring, it's drafted in the third round by the Patriots does not really work out the way uh, a lot of people were expecting. I think ironically, I think that uh, Bill Belichick went through a whole phase of trying to figure out his next Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez combo. And he was drafting and signing all of these guys. I remember John U. Smith and I know Hunter Henry's still there, but he's just tried to find tight ends over and over again. It did not work out for Asi So he played in 22 games. There three starts between the Patriots. He was with the Bengals most recently, I view him as more of like a flex tight end. He's not really a great inline tight end, in my opinion. So more of a move player uh, who can do some things maybe from the slot or if you you have a chance, maybe something happens and you you miss a game or two. I mean, not that David's been the most consistent 16, 17 game-a-year player. Obviously, Akins has dealt with some injuries in his career, too. It's a nice – I view this as a really nice practice squad insurance for not a limited type of athlete as a tight end. Now, he's not an overwhelmingly – great tester but i think he understands some things about the receiving side of it while he's more of a i wouldn't call him a liability as a blocker but it's certainly not where he's going to ever make a, an active roster you know what i mean
2: yeah i think it's it's welcome depth at a position where you know prior to this they didn't really have that depth on the practice squad they had Zaire mitchell payden who's more of a developmental prospect and i think you know i don't know that this is it with with the in the in the mindset of replacing anybody Certainly that's on the active roster now. I think this is just about adding depth because I mm-hmm. think they uh, frankly see that the you know they're they're gonna have to continue or they're, they're planning, I guess the better way to say it, is they're planning on continuing to run a lot of tight end, two tight end three tight end sets. and so if you if you you know feature thirteen personnel, uh, they have thir- they have three tight ends on the active roster. So if you need a fourth, whether somebody's hurt or you just really want to lean into it one week, uh, now you have a, a fourth tight end that can play
1: a little bit surprising to me how involved Harrison Bryan has been not that they're running a ton of 13 personnel like they only ran 13 personnel four times the other day but they ran like zero two personnel which is two tight ends three wide receivers they also ran zero one personnel like mm-hmm. because Elijah Moore is being used creatively these are things I've not seen from Kevin in the four years I track this sort of data so uh, I, like I said, I've been pretty surprised uh, how involved in a lot of very key plays Harrison Bryan has been involved in early in the season, considering yes um, what we think is around him at that position. I'm not sure yeah. if that's more it's just circumstance working out that way or not, because it's not like Akins and Njoku weren't on the field when they ran that opening play against Pittsburgh. And uh, honestly, both of them were open. Uh, It's just, I, I, again, I think it's just sort of working out that way. I don't think the Browns are sitting down and saying, how can we scheme Harrison Bryan onto the field? But I mean, they're putting him under center for quarterback sneaks a couple of times. He's caught a touchdown off of a goal line play action out of the backfield. So they're looking for somebody who can do some of those things. Uh, has some alignment uh, flexibility, I think Asi Asi sort of fits, right? In mean, the ideal world, we never have to see him on the active roster, but yeah. you do in practice squad scenarios need to provide yourself some answers in-house if something significant happens. Because as we know, the NFL is uh, it's just tough to predict with these injuries week to week. We're already sort of living in it. Um, the next one they signs, Deion Jackson, which I'm excited about that because you and I agreed way back when the 53 came out and they rolled out the practice squad that Hassan Hall has no business being on an active roster. It's just no spot for him. It's never going to be. Now, you do need some guys, like you mentioned, Zaire, Mitchell, Payton, Andrew. You do need some guys who are program guys willing to go out there and practice squad, uh, scout team it up and, and play hard all the time. Not all guys who get opportunities on the practice squad treat it that way. You would be surprised the stories I hear about practice squad guys who who clearly take that situation for granted, think they should be on the active roster, don't practice as hard as they're supposed to, don't give the team looks that they're supposed to in scout team, and you need some of those types. Now, eventually, though, you have to get players in the door who, if something happens, you have some answers. Deion Jackson brings a little bit of that, right? He's been with uh, the, the Colts uh, through some weird times, obviously, mm-hmm. with Jonathan Taylor's injury history and whatever is going on there right now, which I think the NFL world after four weeks will be very in tune with what's going on there because he can come off of IR, but he was originally slated after some of his performances in the 22 season when Taylor was, was banged up to be the guy. So as Taylor was holding out and trying to seek a trade, it was plausible that Deion Jackson was going to be the guy to play, take the majority of those snaps. Now in the opener, Andrew, he had two fumbles. I think he had like 13 yards on 14 carries yeah. in Jacksonville. So that ended up signing his, ticket out the door there I think that there was a little bit of unease around him because he was frustrated about that and having that one game define his his situation because Zach Moss has come in there and done a nice job but they brought him in and he's in the third year out of, of Duke so he's still a young player 27 career NFL games is not something to scoff at in terms of experience he'll bring some special teams if they need him to come up he's done that before and he's just a he's an NFL running back I mean and that's at times something you've been concerned about right if the if the challenge you know wasn't met originally by Jerome Ford obviously and you go out and get Pierre Strong and and luckily you're you're sitting in uh, a close radius to being able to sign Kareem Hunt but I think providing some real insurance there with a player who is like I said gonna gonna give you some scout team reps and be out there and giving it his all as uh as a, a real again a guy you could have seen on NFL Sundays as recently as week one I yeah. think it'll work some benefits here you know
2: yeah, and he's a he's a really really good athlete. He's like a, a nine, uh, RAS score guy, which you know is more of a draft metric. But you always go back and check on those guys. It's it's relevant for him because he's only two years removed from combine testing. You know, he ran a four four two, really fast ten yard split. You know, just I think I think kind of a burst guy. And you know, I I think that uh, they kind of I in my mind I think it's it's it really looks like they're leaning into the you know, the committee approach with uh, Hunt being kind of the thumper and Ford being, you know, the main guy who's in there for a lot of the main stuff and, and obviously is a really a uh, useful weapon in the passing game as well. And then Pierre Strong, you know, I think Deion Jackson would also fit the mold of, you know, kind of that burst guy, the speed option that should play as they continue to spread things out more, especially if the if the downfield stuff opens up. Then that's when the checkdowns to these guys really start to to become a, a vital part of the offense because you get the safeties deep deeper a little bit and now there's room underneath to work and that's where a, a, a real uh, speed guy can can help uh, to give on screens and things like that give people, uh, teams something to worry about so yeah I like I like this signing as as just adding the depth to that position where you know after the Nick Chubb injury it was really t- kind of two options because as you said, Hassan Hall was not going to provide anything this year. So there were really two options after that injury. And now that they've got four, I feel a lot more comfortable with that number.
1: I do too. And and they need to figure out something. Uh, and again, this is uh, something you just referenced, but, but also to me where teams are, taking the second level of their defense and dropping under a lot of what Kevin loves to run a front side backside dig combination deal. It's a huge part of what he does. Teams are vacating middle reads and in, in the, in their hook drops and Jerome Ford on third and four was a great example. Uh, now the ball wasn't very good. And I, I highlighted it on chalk talk where he was kind of Deshaun was hidden behind the, the Mount Vesuvius known as, as uh, DeJuan Jones. And it's hard to see the football coming out but they have to be able to complete those. They need to be able to find those running backs. And they did later uh, on like a third and sorry, a second and long Watson had been sacked. It was like second and 19. He dropped it down to Kareem Hunt. They picked up 10 easy yards, put it to third and manageable third and eight, I think and completed a throw on the sideline third and eight. Definitely different than third and 19. So what I'm getting at is they need to work that sort of, um, underbelly of the defense, the layer between the pass rush and the second level droppers on third down scenarios and pick up those yards. So I'm, again, I don't know if Jackson's doing it. I don't know if they're just going to keep trying. I'm, I'm pretty convinced they're going to keep trying to get better with the guys they have, but that's yeah. a layer to this offense of running backs, beating linebackers in tight spaces and man or running backs, beating underneath coverage with drop offs and making a man miss. Think of that. Jalen Warren play, Andrew yep. on a third and a, I think it was like a third and 10 against Pittsburgh where he mm-hmm. created 11 yards mm-hmm. with four Browns converging. They need to get a first down or two a game like that. Yep. And um, that I just think the based on the way Kevin likes to layer up his downfield routes, you're always going to see middle droppers that are heavy because they know that that's the route. The Browns try to find if they can't work the front side, they're coming back to the backside dig. I talk about it all the time. So can you can you get comfortable taking that short of the sticks throw to a running back who's able to make one man miss and create a first down? So they need to find that answer is kind of what I'm kind of what I'm getting at.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, this is maybe something that uh, you know, I think is a pretty common thing to say, but on on rewatching the game, I really liked what Pierre Strong showed in those late game opportunities, especially out of the gun downhill. He's just got that sudden speed that you know, seems to always translate to the NFL level. It's exactly what you saw when you watched his handful of snaps last year with New England. Um, It's not that I dislike Jerome Ford, but I think Pierre Strong's got a little bit of a difference maker quality there. And I would like to see, as you're saying, in, in these sorts of obvious passing situations where they're running deeper routes, get, get that kid on the field underneath because I think he makes one guy miss and it's a 25-yard gain because by the time he gets to full speed it's you know he's really moving. So yeah. I think there are some answers here, you know, we're going to they've they've got the gift really, you know, between I mean the Chubb injury is obviously terrible news. The 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 good news is they bounce back with a win, they have one more game and then they get a bye week to kind of continue to remodel stuff and I think we expect them to do that.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about some of those elements here in just a minute. Um but to your point with pierre strong i mean he didn't i think he had two carries in the pittsburgh game and i know you're game planning some stuff and nick injury blah 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 how you handle that but they get they definitely gave him some more meaningful snaps out of the backfield and in, mm-hmm. in this one so they, there's a chance they're seeing some similar things to you and There is a committee effort going on here, but if one guy wasn't up to par and was significantly worse than the other,
2: they wouldn't be committeeing them. They just, they wouldn't be. So Strong will get a chance. Yeah, they like to to ride the hot hand and they like to, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Kevin does this because this is not something he's ever done. As long as he's been in Cleveland, Nick Chubb's been here. And so...
1: You he know, was with Dalvin Cook in Minnesota, so it's not point. like there was timeshare there going on. You know? Yep,
2: exactly. So so this will be, and I, again, I point to that bye week as a, as a way for them to continue to unfold this and really find roles for these guys.
1: Keep a close eye on that. The two the arrivals to the practice squad means that there are two departures, and those names are Tristan Hill, the defensive tackle, and uh, I already mentioned Hassan Hall. Hill, yeah. a little bit of a surprise mm-hmm. because although he was dinged up in, in preseason, I thought when he did play with the club on his hand, it was actually some pretty strong reps from him. Now, not that I didn't think they brought back Tommy Togi and the clear choices, they said we'll keep Tommy Togi and uh, wave tristan um send him off into the to the you know nfl streets and to figure it out it could just be that they want to give tristan they had a conversation with him he thinks there are places he should be playing he might even view the guy he came in with maurice hurst as i'm as every bit as good as him mm. why is he getting this opportunity and i'm not because if you're a reminder those two are pretty closely linked on those one-year deals with no guaranteed dollars so i think there's just a likelihood here a little bit of conjecture for me that there was a mutual agreement of separation there because if you're looking on the surface of somebody gets hurt, I'd prefer to bring up this player. I'd prefer Hill to Togi. even though Tommy, yeah. I thought made strides, uh, I thought that it was his best preseason, but I don't think he's the level of uh, athletic talent as, as Tristan is. And I don't think he moves people quite as well. So yeah. I think there's an element of a, a mutual agreement going on there. And again, I don't have any inside sourcing on that. I'm just, I'm just thinking he's trying to find a different roster where the defensive tackle situation is a bit rougher, which is, very ironic considering this was the place for him to be last year with that stuff but yeah there's a world in which he's like hey I'd rather go sign with I don't know Arizona who he was with last year
2: yeah and then you've got Siaki Ika who hasn't even been active yet right so so you know he's realistically at best he was sixth on the depth chart at this point and so that's just a very tough place to be when you're a veteran you want to play because you want to get a chance to prove that you deserve more of a contract and you can't do that when you're on somebody's practice squad so yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I, I am also surprised you would have thought Tommy Togiai because they, you know, just a month ago they did they made this choice and went the other way. They kept Indeed. Hill around and didn't keep Togiai. So, yep. uh, But I, having said that, like you said, there were there were signs from Togiai in the preseason, and I, I, you know, we'll talk about the defensive tackles here in a little bit. I think Jordan Elliott looks better than he has at any time during his Browns tenure. So. You know, I, it's, it's a new day for this defense. I guess we'll just say that.
1: <laughs> it's very fair to say that at this point. We're going to take a break, though. We have covered all the roster moves. And when we come back, we're shifting over to mailbag. Mailbag, midweek mailbag. A little alliteration, courtesy of Andrew Spade. So sponsors coming at you. Then we'll be right back. We'll get into the mailbag. Be right back.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is
1: Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, so in this endeavor, Andrew is going to tee up the questions. We'll have a little back and forth on those questions. We're going to pull some data. We're going to do our very best here between... Uh, both of us have consumed all of the film. We have true media data that we can pull to give some analysis to any of those in-depth questions you have. And then we will also pull from pro football focus, what we can find on snap count data and all that stuff. We don't lean into grades all too hard here. We do not align ourselves <laughs> with the pro football focuses. There's the Swifties out there, Andrew. We're the, we're not the focuses. All right. We don't know all no. of our self there. It's so. getting,
2: it's getting really bad. I mean, I, you know, like you said, we both watched the, the film. Dalvin Tomlinson grading in the 30s to me is, is just as mysterious as it comes. I mean, he, he didn't have like a standout game, certainly, but. There's got to be an element to this guy did. He did his job. Yeah, he, took
1: he, did the he took on double teams Yeah, it was awful. And then Amari Cooper with a 72, and that guy was literally the best play, uncoverable player on the field, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. gets a 72. Makes, makes sense. Oh, Ryan Tannehill, also a better passing grade than Deshaun Watson. So um, there you go. That's what we got going for right now.
2: I mean, I, I guess, and we we mentioned this after week one, uh, still worth talking about, that those grades just aren't reliable anymore. So if you see somebody right. making an argument using PFF grades from 2023, just know... Put them in a locker. that is suspect now. Shove them in a yeah, locker. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's right. what you should yeah, do. There we, yeah, we're advocating for bullying on this podcast. We're taking a bold stance. Bold stance.
1: Anyway, yeah. let's dive in on these questions. All right, let's do it. Like I said, if you take the time to send us a question next week, we will read the name of the person with the question, as long as it's not like, um, you know, Captain Underpants or something like that. Goofy. We prefer you <laughs> use like a, I'm not trying to there's a there's a specific Cleveland media presence who tries to make you do a, a name in a, in a city. I don't need to know your city, um, but maybe just a name so that and if you want to throw a Twitter handle, that's a reasonable Twitter handle and not like, you know, uh, you know, JB eight four four six three 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 or something like that. We'll, we'll try to give you some credit for taking the time because taking the time to do that is what makes
2: this podcast fun. So anyway, right. we'll get to that next week. So let's launch into today's. All right. So the first question is about David Njoku uh, and, and his usage. Is he blocking more or when he's on, is he, when he, is he running routes and not getting open? He, he's not, you know, he's, he's got very few catches for the season. So the, the question, the spirit of the question is essentially why is he not being used more?
1: So we dug in on the data on this before the show and we wanted to go back and look at 2022's first three weeks. And we wanted to look at this year as a comparison piece, because we can't, you know, we can't look at a full season last year against a three game sample size and be able to give you a reliable answer. So we just wanted to look at the start of the year this year. David has run uh, 95 routes on, on seven, 170 snaps last year. He ran 79 routes on 189 snaps. So, those numbers are actually trending upward. He's running more routes. Great, right? That's what you want. You want this guy getting the football. Here's the problem. This year, he has an 11.6 target percentage on those routes, and um, that is jarring, right? So his targets per route run 11.6. His team targets, so the percentage of plays, uh, the players' percent of team targets is only 11%. Mm-hmm.
2: That's really low. Mm-hmm.
1: All right? Last year his target percentage on routes run was 20.3 and team targets were 18.2 that's much higher see what we're doing here we're we would I would say I don't want to speak for you Andrew he's open at times there's just the eyes are in a different location the Mm -hmm. tight end screen could have been a hundred I mean it could have been a a huge play right we talked about that it's up on chalk talk you can find it and the first drive it was close Uh, There's a ball, I think, on Watson's second bootleg of the first drive, the second play, that he could have given David a chance against a blind, what I call statue defender, who was running behind him with his eyes turned to the quarterback so he couldn't see the ball if it was thrown. I always like giving 85 a chance to jump up over people and catch the football. I'm sure uh, Deshaun and David talked about that scenario, had a discussion. I Listen, he's running a lot of routes. I'm seeing times in which they do timing concepts, one, two, three throws, or punch rock throw stuff where the ball's getting out quick. He's not the first place the quarterback's eyes are going. That could change. I'm encouraged, Andrew, that the 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 routes are up, right? But I, I don't love that the targets are down. And if I'm saying as a coach, we're getting this amount of targets to the tight ends per game, and I'm only finding a way of the team target percentage to get David like 11% of that. That has to increase. I, I mean, it's got to get closer to 20%. Uh, in my opinion, even though you've added Elijah and you've added some other you know talent to the roster, he's too good to gloss over. So we need to put him in places that we think is going to be the quarterback's eye location right away. Because I will say too, there are times in games where he's been blocking, he's getting his cardio in and blocking. And I think he's not, locked in let me put it that way you have to get your tight ends touches to keep them locked in in both phases all the time so they need to find a way to rectify that and I think this is a good week a good chance to do that
2: yeah I would agree with you I think you know obviously the big difference between I mean maybe this is too obvious to even say the big difference between last year and this year is Jacoby Brissett to Sean Watson right so sure um you know the 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 whole issue here is what watson's comfortable doing and where he's comfortable looking and i think we're what we're what we're finding is that amari cooper is kind of just his guy you know and they have a an understanding this is it reminds me a lot of of when watson was at his best in houston with deandre hopkins it was just yeah. it, he would rather throw a higher degree of difficulty ball to amari than find his third option or even look as you as you're saying in some of these options where Najoku is is further up the list. Maybe he he goes he just goes right past it to find where Amari's at and see what he's doing because yeah it just it becomes a level of confidence and I think where the quarterback's at right now mentally he needs to have that level of confidence and I think that I just think the chemistry is probably not there between Watson and Najoku to justify him kind of making those special efforts so it really is going to come down to those sorts of schemed throws I think in the short term to keep Najoku involved and give him some chances. I mean, one of the more impressive plays of the Pittsburgh game was that uh, that little short route that he took for uh, 30 yards up the right sideline late in the game, you know, made something out of nothing. He has game breaking ability more so than most of the receivers on the Browns. Honestly. I mean, we saw Amari's, you know, catch and run skills, uh, you know, get, get thrown away on that out of bounds play, but, Najoku can really separate and can really run and, and and then is also obviously big enough to avoid tackles. So
1: He's so hard to tackle. There's that ball. There's the ball on the left flat that he caught off that shotgun play action where he just carries a nickel defender like six yards yeah. and creates it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's collisioned at the line of scrimmage and he creates six yards. So yeah, you, have, yep. you have a weapon. You got to find a way. This is on the staff and the quarterback to find a way to use that weapon because he's been put out there. Right. It's it's not just say hey the coaches have to do it the quarterback needs to do like you're saying yeah. he clearly is willing to do the leap of faith stuff with Cooper let's see him do that with Njoku too I think that there's some pressure to to have it there.
2: The last thing I would say is I feel like especially after the Pittsburgh game going into this week it was really just like you know whatever Watson wants to do to feel comfortable let him do it you know and so hopefully now for sure if he's if his confidence is increasing then you can start to try and get certain players involved and get the quarterback to try and target certain individuals rather than last week it was it really felt like security blanket time where it was just like yeah. you want to throw it to Amari 30 times fine that's just that's how it has to be that's all right because you know the most important thing early in the season so far has been getting the quarterback right
1: agreed agreed okay good stuff let's do the next one
2: yeah so the next question uh is asking in going into the Tennessee game did the shotgun percentage increase from the first two games of this year and from what they did last year with the Sean? and what is the relative breakdown of that? So we dug in on this data, too. They have run 220 plays this year, which is
1: most in the NFL, and you, you should not be surprised by that. It's not like that's significantly more. There are multiple teams, like Phillies run 214, the Cowboys 213, the Browns are 220 because their defense is off the field all the time. Like, they're, they're not letting teams convert third downs at a historic pace, so it's not like uh, this is some huge offensive stat right because the browns haven't uh continually run drives down the field so anyway they are at the top and of that uh what we peeled apart is shotgun percentage we can find that very simply of those 220 plays 61.8 percent have been in the shotgun which might sound like a lot to you but that's only 25th in the nfl they're surrounded by tennessee's in front of them the raiders are behind them san francisco who's the under center gurus of the world behind uh, 29 like the jared goff you know ben johnson uh, play action heavy. Lions are at 30th and 31st is the Vikings, so on and so forth. Surprisingly, the Cowboys are 32nd. Anyway, there are four teams right now that um, are at 90% or above in shotgun Washington, Philly, Indy and Cincinnati. And you might say, well, those offenses stink. Yeah, they're largely in third downs and they're doing a lot of throwing and stuff there 's a balance here right there's a there's certainly a mm-hmm. balance team like the Chiefs are eleventh in shotgun percentage. Dolphins are twelfth in shotgun percentage. Those are good football teams. The chargers' offense is good, not defense they're eighth in gun, so we obviously know Philly's offense pretty dang competent too so um, we would like to see that uptick we've been pretty vocal about that, and the breakdown from that last year in week twelve through eighteen, which is when you know that 's the only sample size we really care about because that's when Watson was playing the shotgun percentage in those games was 22nd in the NFL at 64.1. So it's pretty much the same, Andrew. They're they're doing yeah. – we all thought that there could be this gigantic shift to gun. Kevin has not gone there yet. Now, could it be driven by Nick? That's possible. It's a short week. I think if you look at this specific week sample size, um, they didn't do anything crazy this week, uh, specifically week three. I think it was still like 59%. It wasn't mm. overwhelming. It's just who they are right now. I would like to think that shifts forward because when we look at 2023, no shotgun, their total EPA on all plays. So I like to look at this as a collective offense because, you you know, I like to have a quality gun run game if I'm going to be in the gun. They're 29th in the NFL and EPA and under center stuff. OK, that's right. When they're in the gun, it's not that much better, but it's better. Right. And it's uh, 21st in the NFL. Right just a couple spots behind Philly Miami, obviously number one chargers, number two, the 49ers are number three, which is crazy considering how short um, their experience is to get in the gun, but you need to be better here. They're better than they are currently under center. So that's something that we want to talk about They They are better at shotgun stuff. Will we see as the bye week hits an uptick in the usage? Can they get into the 70 high seventies, low eighties in that percentage? That's something we would like to see last year. In weeks 12 through 18, um, their shotgun EPA was worse. It was 28th um, compared to their under center, which, again, why would that not be surprising? It's pretty obvious. They played the entire year in a pretty heavy under center structure, so collectively the group should be better from an under center structure. They're 22nd, but we've seen it shift this year as mm-hmm. the team has spent the entire offseason together. The signs are there that while they're not beating the world in EPA from the gun, They are a better offense when doing it from an efficiency standpoint to me. So, uh, you know, I'll leave it there, Andrew. But but again, I think that we're going to do something at the bye week about what we got wrong and what we got right about this team for the quarter check in four games into a season. I know now we have an extra game, so it's not true four quarters. But I think there's something interesting to dig into on this shotgun stuff and the hope we have that it changes over time.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely the thing that we hit hardest going into the Tennessee game. It ended up not mattering. You know, I think part of that is how well the defense played, you know, it it forces the Titans into an unfavorable game script where they're playing catch up and having to pass, you know, where, you know, they're, that's not the, their best version of themselves, but offensively. Yeah. I mean, when you look at this game specifically, the Browns best plays came out of shotgun. So it, it seems like that's the path forward, but it also seems like the head coach is going to be hesitant to go down that road as far as some of the other coaches in the league are. And I think it's something we'll have to continue talking about because the quarterback prefers it. If the splits continue to favor that the Browns are better out of the shotgun, then it becomes a conversation about what what's the holdup? What's, what is the drawback from Kevin Stefanski's perspective? It's a question that I would love to hear him answer. You know, if it, if he feels like it, it comes back to the run game, it comes back to play action. I don't know that we would ever get a straight answer from him publicly, but it's, it's certainly one that I, I would want to hear him asked, you know, in, in that bi-week timeframe of, you know, what do you, what do you think? What do you think the, the reasons are to still be at the, at the low end of the league, in shotgun percentage when you're more effective out of the shotgun. So that I mean it's we're going to keep talking about it because if, if it continues at this if these rates continue, it will be frustrating because you know they're going to they're going to run into this week against Baltimore after the bye against the 49ers. These are better defenses than the Titans certainly against the pass. You need to be putting your position your players in positions to succeed and if they're under center a bunch against Baltimore and their offense isn't working, it's going to be hard not to point a finger in that direction. I'll give Tennessee
1: credit. I know you weren't trying to discredit them at all, but they they were really well prepared. I I said it a couple straight shows now in the post game too, but like they painted up so many things in coverage. Even though I think they're going to face more talented secondaries, I will give them a lot of credit for making every single thing difficult and and making in their front is is dynamic. I just I just will be fascinated to watch Baltimore compared to them and then watch um you know, watch San Francisco too, who has some interesting strong points to their defense, but also some some interesting weak points to that defense as well. We'll leave it at that. I just think Tennessee is it sucks how bad their offense is because I think that defense is pretty dang good. Um okay, let's uh let's go to the next one.
2: Uh so yeah, kind of building off of that first question for David Njoku, but but now talking more about the wide receivers, you know, I think we we all thought going into the season uh that there would be a fairly even target share between the top three. Cooper and Moore have got the lion's share of the targets. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a distant third, you know. Um, so just, I think, you know, share your thoughts on the the receivers and their target share. We've kind of already touched on this with the, with the conversation about Njoku, but I, I guess let's maybe make this into a conversation more about Elijah Moore and just how much they were really trying to get him the ball. Uh, not just on on halfback plays and and stuff out of the backfield, but as a wide receiver on on Sunday.
1: I want to throw him the football as a wide receiver. I'm fine with it. I think they should. I think that forcing targets to him as this make believe Percy Harvin type is not worth anyone's time. I, I don't. I really don't. I would like to see him running routes downfield because I think he's good at it. Although his body's not very big and he's not a big target. He is open and he can create separation. So I I think that early on here, Andrew, I'll say I don't love how they're using him. Amari, fine with it. They should be feeding him targets. He's an all-pro talent. Uh, No problem there. We've talked about Njoku. We should see an uptick in that relatively close to 10%. 8 to 10% would be a lovely number to get to. Um, I would like, I mean, they're giving Marquise Goodwin some chances. He only had five snaps the other day. Uh, against Tennessee I would like to see a little more but this is where you get you got a lot of mouths to feed right they like David Bell they want to play him a little Tillman was on the field 11 snaps ran a route on a play action had a chance to get thrown to him it didn't I, I mean like there's just there's a lot of players to get the football to I think if you lose some of the gimmicky Elijah Moore stuff and and give him maybe instead of nine touches or nine targets four of which are sort of contrived I would say give him six five or six really good targets and then pass those others off to a shot or two downfield to Goodwin and, and some intermediate opportunities for, for Tillman or Donovan. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think I, I, I want them to find some levels of comfort. I'm all about trying to get Elijah involved, but I, I think that my gut says so far, I feel like they're, they're forcing that too much to and i don't mean to disrespect him i think and i said it when i when they when they got him andrew i think he's a receiver a blessed receiver downfield i don't think he's a hybrid type of guy he's not i just don't think that's who he is he's never been that yeah. guy so yeah. i don't love that stuff i i can handle a, a a fly sweep every now and again and some different motion types here and there but let him run routes like he's good at that let him play in the slot let him play out wide and let him run routes don't overthink that stuff and i think right now i understand what they're trying to do because they don't have a player like him in the building and i get it but let him just play wide receiver that's my thing right that's all yeah
2: i i totally agree with you and it almost feels like some of those plays feel like a gimmick for gimmick's sake at times you know the especially you know some of the some of the runs that he had out of the backfield, I thought were blocked pretty well, and he wasn't seeing it particularly well because he's not yeah. a running back. And so to to me, it's these are wasted snaps, right? If if you're yeah. if you're if you're running the ball and he's running, you know, up the ass of one of his offensive linemen or into, you know, the the closed gap. That's a run that Jerome Ford probably gets twice as many yards on. So I, I don't w- – given where the offense is overall right now, I don't see the reason for them to need to go to these lengths. I think that it makes more sense to me to try and nurture a mature downfield passing attack that's largely based out of the gun. Yes. And this this gimmick stuff feels like a way to avoid having to do that, honestly. And it it of the things – like there's not a ton to complain about from that Tennessee game anytime you win 27 to 3 you're pretty happy with how things went that would be at the top of my list honestly like watching it back yeah it's just like why are we doing this we don't it's not necessary the yards are there cool. conventional ways
1: I would say the defense notices number eight in the backfield. That's abnormal. They are drawn to it. You're not going to hide him as a fullback like they did on one play and slide him to the flat with nobody noticing. You can do that sort of stuff with like peak Percy, peak sort of like Tavon Austin. There's been some Debo because Debo's a strong human being who can break tackles. Some of the others that have been used to do this stuff, teams are usually sitting on it, but they're good enough at making people miss in space because they're like freak of nature shift. Shifty runners yeah. where more is just kind of not that he's yeah. he's got yeah. some stop start to him, but he's better as a receiver. And I think they're missing that right now mm-hmm. in a very big way. And to your point, like you said, those chances that they're giving to him to run some orbit motion or or run some. Uh, different things like that fly sweep or some of the stuff they're doing, like sliding them out of the backfield and playing fullback. Like those are shots that you could take at other places to players more comfortable and less obvious to a defense. So I hope they can start to shift away from that. Is this not got there was a, there was a time where Kevin liked to run this heavy fly sweep stuff with Jojo Natson. And I was like this guy and he did it with Felton a little bit too, where mm-hmm. it was like, these guys are just getting cardio and I don't really know why we're doing it. Cause you don't even use them to like, to be fly sweep and then lead blockers. They're not doing any of that stuff. And I get he's trying to like window dress some things and stretch people laterally a little bit, but they have to be real threats. They need to be the two, two Atwells of the world, like genuine threats with the football. And if you don't have that guy, don't force this somebody else to be or try to be that player, you know, go in the draft and try to find that guy with a significant talent and a speed burst and all of that. I just feel like, They brought Elijah Moore in, and I wrote up that I think he's a gifted route runner and he should be a receiver and use him as a Z at times. He can play X. He's got experience doing those things. And to me, it feels like right now they want him to be something he's not, and those are wasted five, six, seven times a game that they could be going to somebody else and again, a more natural position on the field that they're more comfortable succeeding in.
2: You said it really well. It's something Kevin has always wanted to do. And he's done it even when he hasn't had the guy, you know, and he keeps doing it even though, I mean, Moore is the closest thing to the right guy for this that we've seen so far, but it's still not the right guy and it just keeps happening. And I, I don't know. I I think it's just this, this might be part of the, this might be like the Kevin Stefanski tax. Honestly, he might just be, he might just need to get some of this out of his system every week. I don't know.
1: Maybe he needs somebody that can tell him to stop doing that shit, man. Yeah, he needs someone
2: to like to
1: say stop doing that shit. I will I will gladly volunteer. Yeah. I'm willing to be blocked by people on Twitter. So um <laughs> there we go. We'll move on to the next question now.
2: All right, next question, uh, do you think the linebackers have been playing better this season or has the defensive line just made their job easier?
1: Yes. I think they've both been playing better in the defensive line and the general scheme, the way they play run fits, the fix-it nature. Andrew, we've talked about many times. Tarver spoke on the the data and film align. It's not always that way, but the linebacker group, Taki Taki, is playing around high uh, high sixties into the seventies. I think he looks comfortable at a mic. Anthony Walker has been great this year. JOK flying around doing a great job um, making plays that he shouldn't make where he's jumping gaps and playing. He's getting to play that freed-up, anticipatory football that makes him so special. And I think that if you watch those two, and uh, Walker and JOK, okay, they're playing less busy line of scrimmage football with bodies on them and getting to shoot gaps, take away um, things that they think they think are tendency-based stuff, they're right where they're supposed to be. That that pass breakup in in Sunday's game from Walker, where he does not bite on Tannehill, looking at the three man side and works his himself. He's even cheating back away from it to jump underneath that dig and get a hand on it. That was a special play. Jok has been special too, playing the run, jumping out, setting the edge. You know, playing up underneath people's feet to get tackles. He has no business getting. And talk has been good. He's been he's been really fun when he's been brought into the fold, too. He's just a very comfortable Mike Beck. He's I I want Taki Taki to be like a 10-year Cleveland Brown. He's never going to be special, but he's going to be one of those guys we always remember because he's just so consistent. He's a great teammate, and the team and organization love him. I hope there's something there uh, into the future. But they've even brought Grant Delpit down into some of those box situations to be that fourth backer, and um, let's just say Grant Delpit's pretty dang good at it, too. I've been a little surprised. Like There's only been... Matt Adams has three linebacker snaps. Uh, Tony Fields has three, and and, uh, Diabate has three. So they have just played J.O.K., Walker, and Taki Taki, and they have been fun. I'll leave it at that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's really well said. I don't think I have to add much to that, except just to observe that this is another one where Baltimore will test these linebackers in ways that the other teams they've played so far have not. I agree. And I I think that cuts both ways, Jake, right? Like, it it could expose their weaknesses, but it also, like, Lamar improvising – in the backfield, trying to double back will uh, open up more opportunities for big losses as well. So, it, yep, it there's a chance that it actually makes them look better. Some of those Baltimore things we talked about in the preseason. Just yeah, leave, we'll leave it there. Nope. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, no, we'll, let's give it another week or two. But yeah, the victory parade on that take is. is it definitely... was
1: not so much that the victory. It was like that they there was a preconceived the pass game is going to be great yeah exactly right away and mm-hmm. we're like well you know they still need to do what they're best at here in unique. Mm-hmm. and unique anyway we'll talk yeah. about later
2: <laughs> all right next question um how how does the defensive rotation break down the snap rotation between the four defensive tackles um good, who's good who's question. playing the most who's playing the least so Dalvin Tomlinson has 95
1: snaps when they bring in whatever they call it. Some people call it NASCAR packages, whatever. When they bump either miles or Zedarius inside and they get funky creative, they still keep Dalvin out there. He's the lowest graded one. He's right there with Jordan Elliott. Actually, Jordan Elliott's a little bit below him. I think it's laughable. I think he's been really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he has 95. So typically when they start out, it's Dalvin and Jordan Elliott mm-hmm. who play together. The uh, Dalvin's the shade and Jordan's the three. And then Maurice Hurst and Shelby Harris get out there together as well. So that's the four-man rotation. I have no single other defensive interior player um, playing a snap yet, obviously. Not having Mm -hmm. any of those guys active. Those are the only guys I've seen play inside. Um, That's the rotation they're using. And like I said, when they keep one on the field, traditionally it's Dalvin. I've seen them start to put Maurice Hurst as the sole guy on the field and Mm -hmm. it's a huge amount of credit for taking a swing on a guy who's just been battling injuries year over year. And when he's been healthy, he's been good. And boy, he's been really good to start this year, man. A lot of fun to watch him and they love him.
2: Yeah. And a heartbeat guy on the defense too, right? Like he celebrates, he he gets after it. He is, he is, he has more motor in him than every single defensive lineman last year combined or defensive tackle last year combined. I'll, I'll say it that way. Uh, yep. it's it's striking to see the difference between this defensive tackle group and last year and i think part of it obviously is the talent i mean tomlinson shelby harris and Hurst are all better than anybody they had last year but even elliot's playing better and i think the ro- way they're rotating them where they're all four playing roughly the same amount of snaps right that level of rotation is really helping them so they don't have two starters and two backups they have two 60% players and two 40% players. And, you know, part of it is they've been able to get off the field so much that they haven't had to extend any of these guys too much. So they're all really fresh still. It's, I mean, it's the best case scenario for how they rebuilt that room so far through three games.
1: I want to real quickly enlighten folks last year in the entire season, they had roughly the entire season between their entire defensive tackle group. I would say like, 35 I you know 50 pressures between the entire group already this year um and the 23 group they already have i think 17 mm-hmm. through three games so you can understand why this group just collectively better uh, at what they're supposed to be to be doing you know pressures mm-hmm. and i'm meaning pressures that have come from inside alignments such as the Darius right. too so mm-hmm. um they're getting they're getting such better play inside if the trend keeps up they're gonna be a 70 80 pressure group from the interior this year which is a very welcome change it's almost startling yeah. watching them defend the run like yeah what we watched last year seen to this year is you know mm-hmm. i should run like a video of a parallel side by side of watching them do it last year versus this year it's going to be it's going to be jarring if I can ever find the time to put that together.
2: Okay, on to the next one. Uh, next question, last question on the defense. Is there anybody on the defense that has disappointed you so far this season?
1: It's hard to say a group setting historic pace has had anybody disappoint. I mean, if you want to say Thornhill missing a game and because of that, maybe I don't even I, – I I hate to say no, man, but I think it's it's no. I mean – your lowest graded guy with a high volume of snaps is Jordan Elliott. And he's got a 51.8, a 60 pass rush grade. That's fine. Rodney McLeod's just above that a 54.7 Tomlinson just above that. I I really don't, man. I don't, I think most guys, I don't, I don't love some of the grading here from some of yeah. these guys. I think have been, have been pretty good, but I, I it'd be picking nits here if I said some guy's been, been bad. I think I've been um sort of surprised at how tight they've kept the rotations. Let's put yep. it that way that yep. there hasn't been a ton of expansion. I even thought, again, Cam Mitchell graded out really poorly, but I thought he played pretty admirably for a youngster coming into that mm-hmm. game as a rookie. So mm-hmm. I'll even give him some credit, even though PFF has got a lot of red around his name.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. The yeah Thornhill is the only name I would mention, and it's just because I think I've seen a few times. Uh, and I you know I don't this might be the way that Schwartz wants him to play as the deep safety but his eyes have been slow he's been he's he's reacted slow at times Uh, Mm -hmm. and so that you know I think we mentioned this on yesterday's show there was that one deep ball that if Tannehill's just like a, a yard left on it it's a long completion to Burks and that's that was on Thornhill guy crossed his face so I, yeah, I it's really, as you said, nitpicking, but that's the only name. And I think largely that is probably due to having that nagging injury at the beginning of the season. So um, yeah. no, I mean it's it's been like you said, it's been a record setting defense. Hard to single anybody out from that. So, okay, last question. Um, thoughts on the return game. Donovan Peoples Jones obviously had that horrendous mistake uh in Pittsburgh where he lost a ball in the lights, apparently. Didn't look much better uh against Tennessee in week three all of this is very surprising this is me editorializing now this is not the question all this is very surprising because he was so good last year but uh yeah just give us your 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 feelings on the return game uh Donovan Peoples Jones in general because it seems like the kick return game is just not a thing anymore
1: everywhere I mean Pierre Strong took one out of the end zone and I was pretty ticked that he did it because there's no point in doing it anymore so uh, Yeah, I don't know. The kickoff's not dead, but boy, is it on life support. So mm-hmm. we'll leave it at that, especially with the fair catch thing that has come in. Um, Yeah, Donovan, I thought, you know, I think he might be chasing some bigger plays, Andrew. I think the thing that's frustrating is I don't expect you to make big plays, but I expect you to make the simple thing. Those, those non-catches in Pittsburgh were extremely frustrating and honestly did contribute to losing that game because they buried themselves in field position on two of them. So those were frustrating. Yeah. So I, I thought he figured out the catch one cut and get up field thing. Like he did have some chance to make a decent return there against Tennessee, and he did. He made a couple people miss. Mm-hmm. He just needs to be very north and south. He's clearly not going to be fed the amount of targets that he had coming his way last year I would really like for him to make some you know something happen here with his ability to return punts and change that change that element a little bit if possible he's doing a little too much Loud. he's not he is not uh, quick but when he builds speed he can be fast so Mm -hmm. he needs to make one cut you know I I used to say this about about Ted Ginn because this is those what made Ted when Ted made one cut like he was so gifted and and Donovan's not that gifted as a flatline runner, but that's when he's at his fastest. He's a four, four guy, but he's not a great three cone agility type guy, you know, at times So you can see that in the NFL coming out of his breaks as a route runner. So I'd like to see him get back to a little bit more of that. It's been disappointing so far, but it's three games. It can get better. I don't think they need another person doing it. I think that he's fine doing that, even though he's getting a lot of snaps on offense among the most of all wide receivers, I still think he should be doing that. And I trust him to catch the ball first and foremost. He catches the ball really well. And, um, you know, if he can just gain five to ten yards on punt returns, that's all we need, man. And then if you get one chance where someone slips and falls and you can break a long one, that's great too. There are not many punt returns happen in the single season, guys. There's yeah. not many, right? Yeah. I think Rashid Shaheed had one for New Orleans, either a punt or kick. I think it was a punt. And they're just rare. They're, there's, there's really, you think, oh, there's probably like ten or so. – no, there's usually like five. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Donovan had one of them last year, so hopefully he can get back on the right path
2: yeah i mean the the other option would be Jalen Darden, who's on the practice squad is definitely a punt return candidate uh but they'd have to make room for him either by making a different receiver inactive or you know making a roster move to add him to the active roster. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but that's you know in terms of the you know what's next, who would be the next up that's who it would be It would be Jalen Darden coming off the practice all squad all
1: right any others before we get out of here?
2: that wraps us up, Jake.
1: Okay, good stuff. All right. Well, listen, you guys know the concept midweek mailbag. This will be it moving forward. So if you have questions that you want answered, things you want talked about, this is the place to drop them in. We will do the research on it and provide the most thorough answer you can find uh, in a podcast form, at least anywhere in the in the Browns market. So we, we look forward to priding ourselves on that and giving you guys an opportunity to have a platform to either come with a comment or. that that launches into a discussion or a genuine question about something you either don't have the access to figuring out or just want two guys to to talk about a little bit. We will be happy to do that. So opening that forum up to you guys next week, I'll, like I said, put out a reminder on Tuesday on both the OBR film breakdown, Twitter account, and my personal Twitter account. And I'm sure Andrew will as well. So keep your eye out for that. Andrew, I, uh, you know, like I always say, brother, I appreciate any time spent yucking it up about, the NFL and and some Cleveland Browns football.
2: Yeah, it's a kind of a good, uh, good opportunity with these questions to review where things are at through three games. I know we'll do a little bit more of that with the bye week right around the corner, but uh, honestly, uh, all talking all about this just makes me more excited to dig in on how they beat the Ravens.
1: That'll be fun. We'll spend a lot of time on that. The rest of the week, we'll get with Jordan Zerm, talk a little bit about how the Browns beat the Ravens, look ahead at the rest of the NFL slate, do some fun stuff around what happened last week. What's looking, uh, you know, what it's like looking ahead. At the weekend slate, we will do a Friday behind enemy lines, as we traditionally do, where we'll get with Kim McCusick, who's my favorite Baltimore guest, and have a chat with him about where the Ravens are. And then, before you know it, Saturday will be here. Andrew and I will talk about some college football and a big Browns thought heading into the weekend. And then your Browns play at 1 o'clock on Sunday. It'll all happen very fast. So uh, we're here to provide the best coverage for you. I think we're doing that. Uh, Continue to rate and review the pod if you can. Again, it always helps. helps other Browns fans find it. And join the OBR for $1 a month, your first month. very important $1 for your first month. See if you like what we do there. I think you, I think you won't regret it. So take advantage of that for Andrew, for me, we appreciate you being here on this Wednesday. Have a great middle of the week and go Browns.